0: Actung, actung, and welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, James Holland, on Sunday, the 5th of June, 2022. So, while everyone else is enjoying the Pat Jubilee pageant back home, I'm over here under the leaden skies of Normandy. I'm in the village of Audroy. never quite know how to pronounce that. A-U-D-R-I-E-U. But then French accents was never really my thing, and I'm standing by a memorial here to the memory of those members of the Royal Winnipeg Rifles and Supporting Arms who were murdered while prisoners of war at Le Chateau d'Audroy near Le Menil Patrie and at Le Haute du Bosque on the 8th, 9th and 11th of June 1944 and there's also a memorial to the Durham Light Infantry two men here Private William Henry Barlow and Private Evan Hayton of the 6th and 8th Durham Light Infantry, also remembered here. And the Chateau de Audroy is a, it's a lovely chateau. It's um it's now a a rather swanky hotel, it has to be said, a five-star hotel, and lovely it is too. And the woods behind it though were the scene of these executions. And it's it's a kind of interesting one because the battle here on the kind of eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh of June. So you no, know, D Day plus two, three, four, five. It you kind of assume that as the Allies are sort of pushing out of the bridgehead, it's gonna be the front line's gonna be sort of roughly east-west, with the Allies coming from the north and the and the Germans pushing from the south, but of course it wasn't like that entirely. I mean, that sort of vaguely it was. But in this particular area, the twelfth SS were were pressing kind of westwards in a sort of south in a northwesterly area from the sort of Conn region, from the west side of Conn, coming into the uh, Canadians as they were emerging out of Juneau, but also 50th Infantry Division, the Tyne Tees Division, as they were moving um, southwards from, from Gold Beach, which obviously neighbours Juneau Beach. So that's why they're here. Um, and the battle for for Adroi was, was very, very bitterly fought. Uh, and I'm now looking direct. I've got the road going through Adroy behind me, leading to tilly sasul but I'm looking at the very same woods where these prisoners of war were just executed. Now, we all know that both sides did this sometimes with prisoners of war, but, you know, it has to be said that the SS came with a certain a reputation and in no way did they do anything to... Um, reverse that reputation on these days and I think what happened here and and what happened at the Abbe Darden, um closer to Caen on D plus one 7th of June and here at Udrai really set the tone for the fighting in 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 Normandy which was for the most part incredibly bitter particularly when they were coming up against those SS panzer divisions and as the British were moving Pushing down southwards, you know the Canadians on their left and 50th Division on the right. They were coming into uh, into contact not just with the 12th SS Panzer Division Hitler Hitlerjugend, but also the Panzer Lehr, arguably the very best of all the panzer divisions and therefore all the army units that the german army had at that time you know commanded by fritz Bayerlein, an incredibly experienced commander you know been in the africa corps been in poland battle for france served on the eastern front you know he'd been there done it seen every different type of theater of war um unbelievably experienced and had amongst his newly formed division a number of extremely um, combat-experienced people. Um, very well-disciplined, well-trained, for the most part, incredibly well-equipped too. Quite a small division, all things considered, the Panzer And certainly compared to the 12 SS, which had about sort of 20 21,000 men, Um Pansalaire was more like about 14,000, something like that. But, but even so, two formidable um, divisions. And yeah you know the scene of 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 just looking across now at the at the trees i can see some i can see some kids playing in a kind of an adventure playground there are the trees all in full bloom as they as uh trees always look at the kind of end of may beginning of june copper beaches and chestnuts and horse um horse chestnuts just it's absolutely beautiful and it's very hard to kind of imagine the kind of terrible things that took place in those woods. But I don't know, somehow with every, all that's been going on in, you know, Ukraine, you kind of... It feels just that like little bit closer again, doesn't it? And I don't know, it's funny, I've been... I've driven down, you know, I've arrived in Cherbourg and I I drove down in my little old Citroën and, you know, yet again near San Mariglis, there was a kind of parachute drop going on and lots of cars and Lots of jeeps which you always get in Normandy, but particularly over the anniversary and you know, sort of slightly overweight fifty year olds sort of half wearing American kit, you know, paratrooper kit, the jumps the jump jackets and jump trousers and jump boots and Frankly looking faintly ridiculous, it has to be said. I dunno, there's something about it that just suddenly made me feel like it wasn't very dignified and it was ever so slightly distasteful. Um you know, it's sort of turned into a sort of its own sort of pageant. And while a pageant is perfectly acceptable for a jubilee and celebrating a, a monarch that's been on the throne for seventy years of incredible service, turning something like D-Day and the Normandy battle into a pageant—I don't know. I, I don't know. Suddenly, for the first time, it, it sort of slightly stuck in my gullet, and I just suddenly thought, "Oh, I'm not sure this is right. I'm not sure how I feel about this anymore." It just... It's not a circus, this was a this was a terrible, brutal battle Fascinating, yes, of course, rich in human drama, absolutely No denying it, and that's why we're all so fascinated in this But I don't know, I I, I feel a bit funny about it, suddenly It just doesn't seem right, having sort of, pretending to be American soldiers I think it's sort of okay wearing a jacket or something But, but to actually sort of properly dress up, I don't know it all just, I don't know, in San Marigles, I was talking to um, Woody Woodage about this, you know, he's very against all that. He doesn't like the fact that, that San Marigles has just turned into a kind of sort of circus town with very little association with actually what really happened there. But there's another very good reason for being O'Dry, because I was staying here when I first came to Normandy back in 2004, and one of the guests was David Christofferson, who's Father Stanley. You may have heard me mention before. And and it was while we were there, and and he was showing me his father's journal and, and his original one to 250,000 map that his father Stanley had used during the Normandy campaign with pencil markings on it and whatnot. I suddenly realised that we were very, very close to a significant point in the Sherwood Rangers story. And this is where my kind of pilgrimage with the Sherwood Rangers sort of began, really. You know, nearly nearly 20 years ago extraordinary really to think how much time has flown by so uh but my research into the sherwood rangers has, has continued because even after i wrote brothers and arms i've just been doing a paper for the sherwood rangers association on what they actually got up to on d-day and there's still some sort of debate about the timings and all the rest of it but combination of of war diaries which have to be taken slightly with a pinch of salt eyewitness testimonies photographs which absolutely do not lie aerial photographs taken on the day and a host of other sources um when you put them all together not one of them doesn't quite work on its own but when you put them all together a much clearer picture starts to emerge and one that's been incredibly exciting to kind of properly nail i mean i have stephen fisher to thank for putting me in the direction of a whole load of um Royal Navy documents. And um, they've been really, really important. So Steve, thank you for that. But the photographs from the National Collection of Aerial Photography have just been absolutely fascinating. And it doesn't just extend to what happened on D-Day as well. It, It actually extends to much of the Normandy campaign. And those photographs have really, really helped me piece together what happened to the Sherwood Rangers when they first started to reach this area on the evening of the 7th of June, 1944, D plus two. D plus one, rather. So I'm I'm gonna get back into my car. I've paid my respects to the Canadians and the two Durham Light infantry men and their cruel fate. And I'm about to head up the hill to a very, very special place for me. So I've um, driven maybe uh, not even quite a mile i'd say just up the road from a and uh my car at the side of the road and i'm now walking down a track on my right hand side is open field and on my left there's that bank which just says normandy bocage not quite in bocage country here sort of we are it's slightly wider open than it is further to the west in the Cherbourg Peninsula and all around San Lowe. That's really proper Bocage country, but, but this is still Bocage, and this is point 103, the high ground. And while the Canadians and 50 Division Infantry were fighting around a 8th Armour Brigade, having captured Bayeux on the very early morning of the 7th of June, D-plus-1, were ordered forward hurry forward as a as a battle group to catch the high ground at point 103 but they couldn't use the main road because the fighting was going on in a drive it was too too dangerous so they basically just went cross country and where i've reached now is we've got this wonderful aerial photograph taken on the 24th of June 1944 so you know a couple of weeks after after D day but What you can see is this mass of tracks going across these fields here. The fields I'm immediately looking at on my right were actually more divided then than they are now. Some of the hedgerows have gone and there was a little wood on the right-hand side. That's that's no longer here either. Although there is a sort of thick mass of trees. And what I'm trying to do, particularly today, it's something, curiously, I've never done before, is try and work out exactly where Three particular people were killed, and one especially, which is Captain Keith Douglas, the legendary war poet. And he really was brilliant. And I don't know if, if any of you haven't read Alamein to Zemzem yet, that's his fantastic memoir of the North Africa battles of starting with Alamein and ending up in the Wadi Zemzem in January 1943. And it's a it's just a fantastic account and he was just a truly brilliant poet. It's amazing that he's not kind of more celebrated. I don't know why we focus so much on the First World War poets at the expense of the Second World War. But if anyone hasn't been introduced to his work, then I really really recommend it. Now he was a he's a chippy old so and so. His his father kept sort of falling on bad times. He was obviously a bit of a bit of a dreamer and I think left his wife and Keith was very close to his mother and very bitter about what his father had done and they, they had money, they were sort of middle class and then lost it and he got a scholarship to Christ Hospital which is that sort of rather curious public school in Sussex where you have to wear sort of stockings and breeches and things it's all slightly old school. Anyway he went there and when he then joined the army and was posted to the Sherwood Rangers, he had a massive chip on his shoulder about these sort of smooth-speaking, charming public schoolboys like Stanley Christopherson, sort of as though he wasn't one. And I think it was because he was socially a little bit awkward. Um, incredibly courageous. Absolutely no question about it whatsoever. Very, very brave. Could be difficult, though. Could be, could be prickly. Um, and Stanley Christopherson, my friend David's father, who would later go on to, very soon uh, in June... 1944 takeover commander of the, of the whole regiment, the Sherwood Rangers, had been his squadron commander in North Africa and continued to be so here in Normandy and Keith was Stanley's second in command and rather amusingly, when the book came out he he asked Stanley to read it, or when when he'd written Alamein to Zemzem, he asked Stanley to read it, and Stanley did and Keith Douglas changed all the names, but for anyone reading it, they knew exactly who they were and so Stanley becomes Edward, and he paints him as... Keith Douglas paints Stanley as a rather sort of shallow person, sort of charming but with no substance, which I think was completely unfair. But Stanley being Stanley, his only, his only kind of gripe about what Keith had written about him was not the character stabbing, um, but the fact that he accused him of not being a decent dancer, which he considered himself to be a highly accomplished dancer which I thought said a lot more about Stanley than it did about Keith, actually. Um, but anyway, he was... Uh, they were up here, and they got up here on the evening of the 7th of of June, 1944. And actually, it's quite interesting, because the, the, the high point, the actual high point, now that I'm here on the track, it's really, really obvious. I'm actually... I'm off the peak now, and, I, and I'm looking down towards the Sill Valley to the west, which then snakes round to the kind of... In front of me, to the south, so two sides of my view are, are dominated by the by the Sil Valley, the southern side and the and the western side. It's a small little a little river, really. It's not a it's not a, a, a raging torrent by any stretch of the imagination, but you can suddenly see that hill point the point 103. You can see the high point very very clearly now, um, and actually it's only about a hundred yards off off the road. And I must have while well, I've been jabbering away, I must have walked about 300 I suspect Uh, and I'm coming now towards what Padre Skinner in his casualty book called Woods and actually I couldn't really understand that because looking at the aerial photograph of the 24th of June 1944 there's a sort of thick strip of trees And then there's some sort of rather thin-looking trees extending northwards. I'm now looking into a crop of barley where those trees once were. They're now completely gone. They're not here at all. Um, And I also can see why, where they arrived from, because actually it's further south. There's now a huge great wind turbine there. But I can see why they would come down there, because, of course, they're off the ridge, so they're hidden from Odroi if they'd crossed north to south to point 103 a further kind of 250 yards from where I'm standing towards the west then you're just over the lip of the ridge and you can see why they would come across those open fields there and that's absolutely the route and you can see that perfectly on the June 1944 aerial photograph and that's amazing I'm really I'm sort of rather ashamed of myself that I've never really properly done this i don't know every time i've been up on point 103 so i've been raining or winter or i've been doing something else with a whole load of other people and i haven't had the time to properly get here and of course when i was writing brothers in arms it was locked down and you couldn't go anywhere so i was dependent on my own research that i'd done in the past but now i can see what padre skinner means by a wood. And I should just explain that Padre Skinner was rather remarkable. He was the Padre for the Sherwood Rangers. And he made it absolutely his thing that he would always bury the dead of the Sherwood Rangers. He didn't think it was right that those tank crews or the men in in the Sherwood Rangers should be responsible for burying the dead. He he felt that was bad for morale, bad for for their spiritual self their soul just not a good thing to do and that was his task he was the man of god he was the man he was sending these dead people on their way to heaven and it was his responsibility and what he had was a casualty book and he'd mark up all the people that were killed or wounded or missing uh, and sometimes the missing were scrubbed out and they were found again such as Stuart Hills for example um, a troop commander in C Squadron who, who was missing on D-Day. He, his tank had sunk. His DD tank had dropped into the sea. Uh, and he then bobbed about, was picked up by um, a landing craft gun, um, little landing craft with guns on it. And they, he and his crew were picked up. And they turned up, you know, a couple of days later. But so he, he's then marked up in, in Padre Skinner's book as, as sort of recovered. And others, um, you know, it says they're wounded and they subsequently don't make it through. But there was no doubting about keith douglas um he was definitely killed as was peter pepler well actually peter pepler died a couple of days later to be fair um but it's marked their graves are marked in his book but the problem is his his sketch maps are just that they're sketch maps and he, he helpfully puts in things like this distance is 220 yards or this distance is 40 yards or whatever but it's quite hard to tell to match his map with what is reality what is that photo you know to to match his map his sketch map with the photograph of 1944 and with google earth today Uh, and you can say what you like about google and the data capturing they do and all the rest of it but i have to say they're jolly useful when it comes to trying to work out where battles took place then and now and so this, I'm now walking down this wood and this is oh, I don't know, it's 150 yards long. See, I'm doing it now, I'm doing what Skinner was doing. Uh, probably by about 40 yards deep. And it is, without question, a wood, albeit a thin wood. Um, a thin, narrow wood. And it doesn't look like a wood from Google Earth. It looks like a glorified tree-lined hedge. So that's very interesting. I've got a chiff chaff above me. Singing its little heart out oh there he is i can actually see him on the top of the tree there singing away migratory birds for those who are interested usually arrive about last end end of march and then from august onwards you don't hear them they fly back in the autumn disappearing miles off to africa but i'm veering from what's needed so here we are got under a wind turbine a wood turbine here and i think this is this is pretty much where i need to be and i'll explain why in a minute hello everyone my name is ned holland and my debut ep slowdown has just come out on all streaming platforms the fourth track on this ep is called away and it features the amazing willow murray al murray's daughter on the backing vocals there's five songs it's 18 minutes long I really hope you feel you can listen to this. Head to my Instagram account at neddythemusician for more information. Thank you. So, trying to match Padre Skinner's sketch map with Google Earth and my 1944 photograph, Padre Skinner says Peter Pepler, uh, who was the first uh, troop commander uh, to be killed, also in A Squadron, Sandy Christopherson's A Squadron, to be killed um, after D-Day, he says he was buried 20 yards in from the main track so assuming that's right I'm about here and I think it's on the other side of this fence where I'm standing now uh, which is now a, a field of of cut hay um, almost directly underneath a massive wind turbine which I don't know if you can hear it is sort of creaking in the wind a little bit and swishing round its three great propellers but here it is and I don't know if there's, there's a sort of greater poignancy to be standing here than there is seeing a, a modern, a, a contemporary jeep, but a jeep beetling around Normandy today with someone in a 82nd Airborne outfit. But I now want to go and see another couple of, a couple of temporary graves. Of course, they're not buried here anymore. You can hear that slap of a book, and that's Padre Skinner's casualty book I've got with me. So according to this, see the problem is is all his his fields and his sketch map are rectangular but in the wrong way, if you see what I mean. They're rectangular east to west, whereas on the map, the contemporary map on Google Earth on my nineteen forty-four photograph of the twenty-fourth of June, they're all rectangular but north to south. But, you know, I can forgive him that, of course. I can forgive Padre Skinner, frankly, anything. He was such a good man. But it's, it's why it's a little bit of a challenge trying to kind of work this all out. Um, and what I need to be is... I need to be in a kind of... A next field but one. Um, but, helpfully, the grass has been cut. It's quite easy to move around. Apart from the chiff chaffs and the blackbirds... And the creaking of the wind turbines it's actually pretty quiet around here, there's no one around here. I haven't seen a soul uh, but actually for this kind of thing thinking about where people were buried and breathed their last it's quite nice having the place to myself Well I, I've, I've managed to reach another track which I guess is sort of 300 yards or something from the main point 103 track which also runs east to west so does this um, they're not strictly parallel but kind of more or less and i walked down the field of cut hay slightly lacerated myself crossing a barbed wire with brambles um i've now got a little bit of sort of bloodied fingers but you know small price to pay in the big scheme of things and, and thorns on my on my thigh but i've now reached the track and um it's amazing because I can see this. This is a this is a double field. It looks like a double field in 1944 from the aerial photograph, um, and indeed is marked up on Skinner's map as a double field. And it still sort of is because there's a there's a a sort of hedgerow of rather young looking ash trees, but not complete. So where I'm standing right now, there's probably 20 25 yards where the two fields are completely joined. They have both got fully grown but yet to ripen wheat in them and then ahead of me is the track and then the ground slopes down to the soul valley um You remember i said that it slopes down to the west but also to the south and and here it is and you could see so clearly why this was such an important position for 8th armored brigade to get and so while the infantry of the canadians and and the dli were kind of busy engaging the 12th ss on the 7th of june and indeed the 8th and 9th um away to to my to my left to the east 8th Armour Brigade was hurrying up here to get this high ground, you know, without infantry support, although they did have the 12th King's Royal Rifle Corps as motorised infantry with them. But, you know, obviously they're an armour brigade, so that's where the emphasis lies. So everyone's a bit tense about this, you know, operating on their own without infantry. You know, the independent armour brigades are there to support infantry divisions, but they've got to do this on their, their own. And they get here on the evening of the 7th, and then they're coming up not against the 12th SS but the Pansalaire. And the Pansalaire are where I'm looking now. I'm looking south towards the ridge beyond. That's where the Pansalaire's artillery would have been. You know, I can just see the rooftops of Tilly-sur-Seul and a little bit over to my left, the rooftops of Saint-Pierre, which is almost sort of co-joined with Tilly-sur-Seul's, but is on the northern side of the River Seul. Um, And, and, you know, to push forward, to, to get forward ground. It's one thing holding this high ground... But what is then happening after those immediate first days is that each of the three armoured regiments of 8th Armoured Brigade is taking in turns to push southwards with the infantry when they first start arriving, and trying to push the 12th SS back on the on the left-hand flank, away from Adroy and Cristo, and the Bois de Boyland, which is just you know, a couple of miles away from where I'm standing now, and push down and get across the River Searle and up the other side, but of course the Panzer have got the opposite ridge so 8th Farmer Brigade and the Sherwood Rangers have got this ridge 0. 103. the Germans have got the other one and just sort of attriting one another, but of course the problem the Germans have, and the problems they have throughout the Normandy campaign is one of supply they can't resupply in the same way that the British, Canadians and Americans can. But I've now worked out where it was that Keith Douglas was killed and where he's buried by Padre Skinner. And it's in this left-hand field of the two core wheat fields that I was mentioning. I'm, I'm walking through, a, through a, a gap, that gap before you get to the line of ash trees. I'm on the western side, the western half of the two fields. There's a very helpful tractor tram line curving round, and it's going to take me almost precisely to the spot. Um, another kind of 20 yards or so. Um, I haven't quite got the shoes for it. I should have worn my walking boots, but never mind. It's obviously rained here a bit, although there are still cracks in the soil, so it's obviously been quite dry, like it has been in England. And I reckon I'm about here. I reckon this is it. And the interesting thing about it is you can absolutely see why the Sherwood Rangers would have put their tanks here. So you you know you would have maybe A Squadron up here, while B Squadron is pushing pushing southwards into Tilly and vice versa. And you'd feel reasonably safe up here. But what 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 does for Keith Douglas is, he's just had this sort of very, very hairy experience of going down into Saint Pierre, trying to spot the Germans, find out what's going on. He's gone with his best friend, John Bethel Fox, who's also a troop leader. They haven't taken their troops, they've just taken one tank each. Bethel Fox and Keith Douglas then abandon their tanks in some orchards and move across the fields in foot to try and see what's what, effectively kind of doing a little sort of recce patrol on foot. They see the Germans, machine guns open fire, they hit the deck and then try and crawl along the river the river Saul, until they're out of out of sight. Get behind some tree lines, and that's the great advantage of trying to escape from anywhere in Normandy, is you can actually there's always a tree line, there's always a hedge from which to hide. So they manage to get back to their tanks and scuttle back to back to join the rest of A Squadron. And Bethel Fox is in the next field along from from where I'm standing now. And Keith Douglas is here and yet again they a stonk starts coming in, so. Although they're behind this tree line, behind this hedge line, um, they're, they're not safe, but, you know, they've got some shelter. Mortar rounds and shell rounds are coming into this field. You know, the the, the German artillery, the German mortars, they know they're up here. So they're just doing... They're not aimed shots, but they're, they're kind of just landing in the general direction. And Keith Douglas had this terrible habit of getting out of his tank when he didn't need to be. You know, in the middle of a stonk, you just need to... Particularly if it's mortars, you just need to sit put and, and, and sit it out and he doesn't, he gets out and it's an air burst. and it does for him There's, no one finds a single scratch on him but he, he's absolutely dead and he's dead pretty much where I'm standing now and I've got to say for the first time being here for the first time that is, it is profoundly moving, it really really is um, there was also Trooper Simpson killed in this field and buried in this field but at the opposite corner and he was from the 24th lancers uh, the other regiment uh, one of the other regiments in the 8th farmer brigade later disbanded at the end of July a whole of m- much of B squadron of the 24th lancers and C squadron joins the Sherwood rangers but yeah this is this is this is where keith douglas breathed his last and it's again it's just incredibly peaceful here it's a lovely little cornfield slightly dishevelled like a lot of the fields in normandy it's not very very big i can't really believe this is the first time i've ever been here but i'm very very glad i did come here i'm very glad that i've managed to piece together through contemporary photographs maps sketch maps by padre skinner and good old google earth pretty much where it was i reckon to within about maybe 15 10 yards something like that ah goodness so i'm now on the other side of the pit ridge line what i call panza ridge and um it's kind of the other side of of the of the searl valley from point 103 um it could see it very very clearly from where we were just about kind of 10 minutes ago but i've come up to the um The war cemetery here and as always it's just immaculate it just looks incredibly stunning it's just a wash with flowers roses pink roses sun's just started to come out it was really kind of leaden skies earlier and all the times i've been here i've never met anyone else other than the party that i'm with until today and now i'm joined by some aussies i mean fancy that and you're here on the on the trail of the sherwood rangers i mean that's amazing
1: yeah, well, we're um, we're just in the area, and uh, I visit quite quite frequently. My friends are visiting uh, visiting from Australia. I uh,
0: see you've got the uh, the Australian Army um, polo shirt on. Absolutely,
1: uh, same one I wore on World War Two TV. Uh, my name's <laughs> Ross Cable, and uh, one of my uh, army mates is actually with uh, with me. We're both known each other for about a quarter of a century, and uh, just happened to be in the same area at the same time, but. Um, my friend uh pete here being a aviator i had to show him some armored history so we're here uh (laughs)
0: because
1: you're a tank man is that right yeah it was cavalry so light light armor but um very very similar type of operations to what what these guys were doing reconnaissance and finding the bad guys and they certainly uh found them to their uh, horror
0: around this area of course yeah absolutely Um, and pete you've literally just got off the plane haven't you i have i have Got those uh, jet lagged eyes at the moment. Well, but, you're, looking, uh, <laughs> you're looking pretty good, Nick. I <laughs>
1: Yeah, thanks, thanks. All things considered. Yes, yeah, so we just <laughs> just stepped off the train about an hour ago, and and now Ross is giving us a bit of a nice tour, a quick tour of the area.
0: But Ross, Which, you know, you're, you're you're a tank man, but but why the Sherwood Rangers? Uh, well,
1: somebody Was it wrote of Keith Douglas. Um, well, yes, I I did as a brand new lieutenant, I did read Keith's book Alamein to Zemzem, and then um, you know, as as um as People like Woody would say, not many people come in very far from the beaches. And um, in previous trips, I've seen the Sherwood Rangers uh, monument, which uh, is very close by, and and really uh, recounts a, a tragic event, but with some real personal details in it. And here you you can really get a sense of the countryside. Um, there's there's big. Um, arcs of observation around here
0: say hill 103 or point 103 as the British would have called it. And And here we are on Panzer Panzer Ridge as I mm. keep calling it. I mean obviously there's trees in the way and stuff but you know you go a little sort of 200 yards that way you can see forever. You know you can see all the way back to point 103 it's now got useful landmarks of some wind turbines on the top so you know exactly where you are. Yeah it's really easy
1: but in terms of understanding warfare and understanding what it was really like this is a excellent place to come because you can really get an appreciation of the, how the terrain affected the battle and how the various weapons they used. You're talking about uh, the Panzer Lair. they they would have deployed the Panther tank that had a um, very long-range gun and, um, and they could use that weapon to full effect in this type of terrain. Now, when you get into other other parts of the battlefield uh, where the Brits say fought in Operation Bluecoat where the Americans were were fighting um, a, a week or two after this through genuine hedgerow country well those those um, weapons were not as effective and you can see for instance the Panzer did a, a counter attack on the, the Americans in the hedgerow campaign and virtually got nowhere but here terrain plus weapons made it a very difficult time for the British and Sir Swells um, was was a
0: battlefield for quite
1: a long period.
0: Yeah, and of course, when the Sher Rangers first came up to them in those kind of first days and then weeks after D-Day, Panzer Lehr and and 12th SS Hitlerjugend, they're pretty pretty fresh. You know, they've they've only just arrived, so you know they're fresh with 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 troops. Mm. They're fresh with weaponry, fresh of ammunition. You know, it's not until kind of weeks later that they're kind of sort of tritted and sort of ground down. So. The show yeah. rangers are coming up against these guys just at their, at their prime you know so it, it's, it's not surprising kind of not much happened you know sort of ding dong back and forth in this whole area of about yeah. sort of you know three or four square miles uh, for the best part of kind of three weeks but um, it's always amazing what you, I mean what do you make of these, these cemeteries I mean they're extraordinary oh they?
1: look this is the, the first major cemetery we've been to and it's, um, it's just amazing this, the scale of it it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's not what I expected it's just rows and rows of uh, headstones it's um yeah, it really takes you, you know, takes you a moment to, to take it all in. Really, It's uh, quite overwhelming.
0: Well, listen, guys, um, you know, enjoy the enjoy the next few days, enjoy the uh, the anniversary, and en- enjoy your first trip around Normandy.
1: Oh, well. <laughs> it's fantastic.
0: Thanks for joining me.
1: All right, thanks.
0: Well, very nice to bump into um, Pete and Ross and extraordinary really I suppose it is the 6th of June anniversary so that's why people are around but I'm, I'm I've discovered Peter Pepler as well he's just three gravestones down from Keith Douglas and here is Keith Douglas actually it's a second Derbyshire Yeomanry attached to the Nottinghamshire Yeomanry which I'd forgotten about I have to admit died on the 9th of June as did Peter Pepler poet, artist these things he loved he died for their defence And forgive me if you think this is a little bit mawkish, but I do think it'd be good to... You know, he was such an amazing poet, Keith Douglas. And when I'm here, I always kind of like to read one of his his poems. So I'm gonna read How to Kill, which is something he wrote, I think, in 1943. Under the parabola of a ball, a child turning into a man. I looked into the air too long the ball fell in my hand it sang in the closed fist open open behold a gift designed to kill now in the my dial of glass appears the soldier who is going to die he smiles and moves about in ways his mother knows habits of his the wires touch his face i cry now Death, like a familiar hears and look, has made a man of dust of a man of flesh. This sorcery I do. Being damned I am amused to see the centre of love diffused, and the wave of love travel into vacancy. How easy it is to make a ghost. The weightless mosquito touches her tiny shadow on the stone, and with how like how infinite a likeness man and shadow meet. They fuse A shadow is a man When the mosquito death Approaches Well these cemeteries They are amazing I've got to say It's uh, always a touching place To to be But for me this has been A, a, a rather Moving and exciting journey This afternoon In the 5th of June 19, 2022 rather Finding Keith Douglas And um I found him. I found where he where he died and I found where he's resting as well. And I think he was a remarkable man, a brilliant poet, a brilliant writer, definitely tricky, no question about it, but a great sense of humour, brave as a lion, and one of those eccentrics that filled the ranks of the Sherwood Rangers and what makes him such an attractive regiment to follow. You know, these are are guys from the yeomanry, so probably wouldn't have been in uniform had it not been for the approach of war, never would have expected to go to war, and yet somehow from the moment they went overseas to Palestine on their horses to the end of the war, they end up being this really rather extraordinary and high-achieving regiment full of misfits and, as I say, eccentrics and rather unusual, but... Definitely very wonderful people.